In 19 years, I haven't been doused that bad ever in my life. So I'll always remember the coffee running down my crack right now. <laughs> Football Daily, your audio accompaniment uh, to our coverage of Group of Five football on the Sports Illustrated Media Group Fan Nation Network. Joe Londrigan here with you, as always. Excited to talk with you. Uh, got a few things to get into as uh, we get ready for the ball to drop and 2024 to actually begin. Feels like I say it every year. It, uh, it gets truer and true every year. It went by quick, but uh, regardless, going to accomplish uh, two things. In this episode here, uh, first is we're going to talk a little Fiesta Bowl, Liberty and Oregon squaring off in that one on New Year's Day on ESPN. Uh, we're going to hear from both of those coaches and uh, give some uh, some thoughts on that matchup. And then in the uh, second half of the episode, uh, we're going to dive into the G5 coaching carousel. Some news there, and I'm joined by my good buddy Eric Henry of Two Four Seven Sports. We'll do what we usually do, have a, have a good conversation about our thoughts on each of the new hires in the group of five. But before we get to that, I promised you some Fiesta Bowl talk, so we'll do that first. Uh, you know, to kick things off here, um, I want to start with this bit from my brief chat with uh, Dan Lanning earlier this month after the matchup was announced, and um, just sort of his thoughts on the Liberty offense and the challenge that they're going to present. Tough to forget that the Flames have produced the uh, number one rushing offense in FBS. So going against that for the Oregon defense is uh, going to be tough. That being said, I think, as Jamie Chadwell uh, pointed out, and you'll hear him say later in this episode, going to be the toughest task for <laughs> uh, for the Flames this season by far. Uh, but here's what Dan Lanning thinks of the Liberty offense. I know you can just look at the box score and tell that they're able to score a lot of points. And uh, I know, again, that they have a great quarterback. Um, and really everywhere Coach uh, Chabot has been, they've had a lot of success. So it's something we're going to have to uh, figure out. It's something we're going to have to process and figure out how, how's the best way to attack them and try to uh, stop that attack. Tough assessment to argue from uh, Coach Lanning. This next bit I'm going to play for you is a couple minutes long. Uh, it's a recording of some of the questions that uh, I asked Jamie Chadwell during this same media availability session about what he expects uh, from the Ducks, as well as, you know, some thoughts on this season in general for Liberty. They are undefeated to date, Conference USA champs, their first season in the league. They're also CUSA's first representative in year six. So you're going to hear him talk a little bit about that here. Hi, Coach. Uh, congratulations again on on making it here. Um, Caden has had a fantastic year, obviously going into the season. Wasn't, uh, wasn't sure if he was going to get the starting job or not. Just, can you talk a little bit about his, you know, overall improvement and, and what he's done to get himself in this offense to this point? Yeah, we got here in the, uh, you know, in January and, uh, you know, went through spring ball and 
had really three three quarterbacks, you know, competing, three or four competing for the opportunity. And, and you knew that Caden had talent, obviously. Uh, you know, he transferred here from Tennessee. So he had he had uh you know high level talent from a from a from a physical gift standpoint. Uh, our job was we had to get him to learn and fall in love with playing quarterback. And from spring ball, the end of, we got done at the end of uh, close to end of April through, through from May through August, when he won the job, he made a 180 as far as his preparation and his mindset to really want to be the quarterback and be a leader of men. And uh, he, he, he always had belief in himself, but a lot of that belief was in those tools and not necessarily in that preparation. And now his tools and his preparation have matched. And that's why you've seen him have just an unbelievable season. I think he, yeah, he was over, I think over a thousand yards rushing and 2,800 yards passing. And he didn't play a lot of the fourth quarters in some of the games. And so just a tremendous season. On the uh, subject of, of Bo Nix, what do you think you and your secondary specifically have to do to contend with some of his stronger traits? Well, he's tremendous. Uh, and I'm not, I, you know, during, during the season, you don't get to watch obviously a lot of different people. Now, when you're maybe waiting on your game and now we, we were this year, we had, we had four midweek games. And so, uh, you know, on Saturdays during the month of October, we were actually practicing. And so you could watch some games on a Saturday night. And so I, I was able to catch them versus a couple people, uh, you know, here and there, a quarter or something of that nature. And, you know, that's going to be the biggest challenge we've obviously faced. What makes him so good is uh, one is accuracy and two if 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 something breaks down he obviously can beat you running but he keeps his eyes downfield and you know can still hurt you if, if from the pocket or out of the pocket and uh we're gonna have to do a great job i've obviously not watched all the film and I'm, i know our coaches will you know start getting all, all that but you know you, you're not gonna stop him you know can we can we uh hopefully minimize some of the damage that he does and uh, you know that's what we got to try to figure out how to do that sorry one more if i may um AAC's got the last couple of New Year's six bid. Uh, you guys are the first conference USA to do it. What do you think that says about CUSA's larger reputation moving forward? Well, I think, you know, for the season we had and some of our other teams, you know, New Mexico State who went down to SEC country and totally dominated the 10-win team, you know, when Jacksonville State won nine games or eight games. Um, and so I, I, I think what, what it did was uh, – there was the knock on the new conference USA. Hey, you're not going to have that good of a team, blah, blah, blah. And I think what it showed with who we played, who we beat, that, that we were just as good as some of the other ones, you know, and my whole point that I was pushing with the AAC was they've been really tremendous, but they lost a lot of people. And UTSA who was in conference USA was a, was a quarter away from playing in the conference championship game. And so uh, I don't think the the difference in the leagues were that much, you know, and that was our whole push. And uh, we were hoping that they weren't going to – the committee wasn't going to live off last year's AC, and it was going to judge it based off of the games this year. And, uh, you know, thank for us they did. And, and hopefully what this does is it gives, uh, you know, other our, our other teams in this conference, gives them hope to say, hey, if they have a tremendous season, then they got a chance to, you know, have the fortune to be able to play in a bowl game like this. So, you know, for the Flames, uh, certainly a tough task going up against this Oregon team that uh, had a Heisman finalist on it with Bo Nix, uh, as well as, you know, I, I think people have pointed this out at different points already, but Jamie Chadwell and uh, Bo Nix's dad uh, were both coaches at Charleston Southern at one point in their professional lives at different times, but almost overlapped. Same sort of time frame, but interesting coincidence there. Keeping Nick's in check to the highest degree they possibly can. It's going to be important if Liberty wants any shot of uh, winning this game. I think a lot of people have noted this about Nick's as well. 
He's so good throwing on the run. So if he does break contain, there's huge plays still on the table for them. So that's something they have to contend with. Then, you know, offensively, this is going to be a really tough challenge, specifically for Liberty's offensive line. You know what I mean? There are some good defensive lines in Conference USA and in their non-conference schedule. I'm not saying there's not, but just dealing with the size that Oregon has in that front seven, that's going to be a tough challenge. That's going to be a tough challenge. So that's specifically what I'm watching for the Liberty Flames in terms of offense versus defense. You know, before we cut to uh, my chat with Eric Henry, uh, one thing that broke after we already recorded that section was uh, Jerry Kill stepping down. So I wanted to kind of give some notes on that real quick. So we've known Jerry Kills had some health problems before. You know, there's not really any official statement as to what's specifically going on there, but seems like the guy was, uh, you know, just tired after having to deal with uh, some of the personal stuff we that's, that's you know, out there publicly that he's had to deal with in the last couple of years. And it's it's not a light time commitment to run a Division One football program, especially one that uh, required as much TLC as uh, Jerry Kill gave to it the last couple of years with New Mexico State. But he did an incredible job. He did an absolutely incredible job, and uh, it was fun to watch. Uh, but now they get uh, Tony Sanchez, who's a former UNLV head coach at one point or another. Uh, he is now going to be the successor to Jerry Kill as the New Mexico State head football coach. He's also the head football coach at uh, good old Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas once upon a time. So, uh, you know, the, the guy's won at a few different places. So it's not a bad promotion, you know, if you're going to have a guy – who's going to try to sustain that momentum. You want someone with uh, a lot of experience, and he certainly has that. And, you know, he goes way back. Uh, student assistant, I believe, with New Mexico State way back in 1996. A little bit of history there. Someone who has, uh, a, you know, a little more context for where that program has been and how much work it's taken to get it to this point. I don't think he's someone on whom that will be lost. <laughs> All right, jumping back into it with Eric Henry of Horns 247 and 247 Sports. Uh, wanted to work through some of the coaching signings that have happened this cycle and some of the more intriguing ones uh, in that regard anyway. Um, Eric, let, let's start with this one because I know this is a guy that, you know, you and I, well, you in particular, I, I think you kept telling me that he's going to get an FBS opportunity sooner rather than later. And that's Scotty Walton, uh, who just got signed by UTEP. Um, seems like he's pretty excited to uh, take on that task. Of course, Dana Dimmel uh, didn't really have too much success in the last couple of years in particular. They're uh, hard to sustain momentum uh, with that program, just given you know the history. But a lot of talent in the El Paso area. And, and certainly one thing that Dana Dimmel was able to do well was bring in you know transfers with high potential. And it seems like uh, Scotty Walden is leaning into that strategy as well as he begins his tenure with the Miners. Listen, Scotty Walden, as we've talked about, is a high energy guy. I guess we should do just a quick rundown on his uh, background for you know those who may not be familiar. Was a guy who began his career at East Texas Baptist under Josh Ergel, who was at FIU with the uh, current tight ends, excuse me, offensive line coach at FIU when Ergel was the head coach at the Division II level. Then he ended up taking over that job. Was one of the youngest head coaches, I believe, the youngest head coach in the nation at the time at 26. Um, then moved on to take the wide receivers job at Southern Miss. 
when things ended there with Jay Hobson. He was an interim coach for three games before leaving to take the Austin P job. A very high energy guy. If you've seen any of his press conferences or, you know, him at the Utah basketball game or even him interacting with recruits. Typical high energy guy. I mean, I, I want to liken him to Will Healy, Joe, but I guess it's a toss up as to who has more experience. Probably similar, but uh, the, probably the biggest thing is, you know, Scotty Walden probably has more um, success on the field than Will Healy had because, you know, Will Healy got that awesome P program when it was in, in, in its, you know, down and out and brought it to a, a winning point. And then Scotty Walden actually took over after Will Healy and, and continued that winning success. But all in all, probably has more of a um, uh, track record of winning. But he's a guy who, again, I think this is a good spot for him. And and if he can, you know, really kind of hone in on that talent there in West Texas, has an opportunity to get things going. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see why there's comparisons there with Will Healy. I mean, obviously, the Austin P overlap is is one thing, but in terms of personality, I, I can obviously see where you're coming from there. Uh, another FCS guy who's getting an opportunity in the G5 is uh, Bob Chesney at James Madison. I, I like that one in particular. I'm a little. I, I knew Bob Chesney was going to get an FBS opportunity. I'm a little surprised it came as early as it did. My initial reaction, I should say, to this hiring by James Madison was a little bit of, of surprise. But after kind of thinking back over some of the conversations I've had with uh, some of the JMU beat guys in particular, I think this one makes more sense the more that I think about it. Given JMU's um, experience transitioning from FCS to FBS, I think you definitely want someone who has that FCS experience uh, and that mentality, for lack of a better term. Someone who, you know, Chesney came into Holy Cross and, and, accelerated and elevated that program and, and to use his own words. And he wants to continue to kind of do the same thing with JMU. People really wanted uh, someone who was going to, you know, sustain the momentum that uh, Kurt Signetti, you know, sustained um, that JMU had kind of already built by the time he got there, but Kurt Signetti obviously sustained it and they wanted someone who's going to do the same thing in return. And I, I think Bob Chesney can do that. You know, I'm, I'm very curious to see, when he has a few more weeks to really be comfortable, um, I, I'm curious to see what he's going to do in terms of the transfer portal and um, if they're going to be able to retain, you know, some of the guys that are are still kind of wing or options for JMU. There's not a lot left, you know, Jordan McLeod sticks out in particular. I would assume we're going to get some sort of announcement following the, um, uh, the bowl game against the Air Force. But yeah, I, I like that one uh, the more I think about it. Yeah, with James Madison, Joe, it's just a matter of keeping the, the train on the tracks. I mean, that's the thing. Now, you can take a look at some uh, – I'll give you two uh, really good examples, Joe. Um, we talked about South Florida before, post-Willie Taggart. All Charlie Strong to do was keep the train on the tracks. That didn't happen. We can go to Louisiana, post-Billy Napier, uh, Michael Dormo, you know, as far as keeping the train on the tracks. It's been hit or miss, right? So it's not quite as easy – as it's as, as stated, but with that being said, James Madison has all of the foundation, all of the history of being successful one AA program, FCS, uh, dating myself there, and and really kind of getting things there and going in the Sun Belt, the FBS level. So I, like you, uh, am a fan of that hire. I'm interested to see how things shape up in, in the next uh, window. You mentioned Michael Desmo. I think that one's. I think that's a guy that's unfortunately kind of on the hot seat for Louisiana coming up here, or at least in a high pressure situation, given the expectations that are around that program, given what they accomplished under Billy Napier. Um, in the Sun Belt, still, um, 
I think the only other there's there's two that I want to hit on real quick. One is uh, Jared Parker at Troy uh, coming off of uh, his time with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, a little uh, I don't know that one I'm of two minds about because what we saw from a defensive minded guy like John Sumrall um, and someone who has more of that G5 background and is more familiar with what the obstacles you're more likely to face as a G5 coach are. I think that's a big reason why Summerall was so successful. Uh, Parker doesn't really have that. He's got, had some good experience at places like Notre Dame, like West Virginia, like Wake Forest, um, or not Wake Forest, Penn State, I apologize. But, you know, I, I think so. I, I, I'm wondering what his experience is going to translate to, if that makes any sense, and whether or not he can kind of find – ways to accomplish some of these obstacles that he might not have actually really faced before when you're already, when you, when the bulk of your experience anyway, uh, comes at places with a lot of resources like those schools that I just mentioned. Not Joe. Listen, I think it's a very astute point on your part. John Summerall was a buzzsaw there or a buzzsaw, you know, let me try not to confuse my S's and Z's there. Um, (laughs) But it did a, a great job at Troy, a program that Again, it's not an easy place to recruit. And I don't, I mean, I've been to Troy, Alabama. I don't know if you've actually been to uh, their facilities there, Joe. It's going to be interesting. But again, you have a strong foundation. You do have some players and pieces in tow. So be really interested to see what they can continue going there uh, with the Trojans. Uh, last one in the Sun Belt, Eric, that I wanted to hit on was uh, ULM, the Warhawks. They bring in our old pal, Bryant Vincent. I love this hire. I really do. Um, I think he's someone who's familiar with, uh, you know, those G5 obstacles that I mentioned. Um, and just as, as an offensive coordinator, he had nothing but success. Really, you go to UAB the first time, and then that stint at South Alabama, the second stint at UAB, where he was the interim coach in the wake of Bill Clark's retirement, and the players petitioned to keep him, and the AD didn't listen. And then he goes to New Mexico and turns, like, I think they were like the third worst scoring offense in all of FBS in 2021, he comes in and then all of a sudden they're in the top 50% of scoring offenses in FBS. Like he's, he knows what he's doing. He very much knows what he's doing. Um, So to get someone like him for a ULM team that has struggled mightily, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, I think this is a great step in the right direction. But obviously ULM, I think when you look at the FBS landscape, it's one of the hardest places to win in all of that division. Joe, I, part of the reason it's so damn hard there is you got other G5 programs in Tulane and Louisiana and others that, you know, even trying to recruit your own backyard makes it tough, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. the Louisiana, very sneakily similar to Florida in the sense of group of five programs. But listen, Terry Bowden did an admirable job, had some success as far as trying to get things in the right, right direction, couldn't really hold on to it. I think Brian Vincent is a hell of a coach really should have been in contention for that UAB job. So we'll see what happens there, but yeah, all in all big fan of that hire home run hire. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the big thing with him quarterback, and you know, he's a guy who can recruit that position. So interested to see how that one shapes up as well. As far as defensive guys, they gotten jobs. I, I think my favorite one this cycle was Spencer Danielson at Boise state, just to come in, in the midst of a very tense situation. <laughs> with Andy Avalos being ousted, uh, the team not really in a great spot uh, in terms of health, in terms of, you know, momentum. They, you know, they ultimately did lose a guy like Eric McAllister, who was their leading receiver. He's at TCU now. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people 
in terms of those who follow Boise State football had kind of written this team off by the time he got that interim job. And he took them to a Mountain West title. So getting the permanent tag, very well deserved for him, in my opinion. Listen, I know you're a, a fan of that hire. I'm The verdict is still out on, on that one for me. Listen, Boise State has a track record of hiring people either who are really part of that program or are part of that uh, that family. It would have been interesting to see them go outside of that realm, but we'll have to see what happens. Uh, it's one that I think that very much the verdict is out for me, um, but I can understand why he was given that job. Fair enough. So we saw Ken Wilson uh, get ousted in the wake of another two-win season. Um, needed change there, but they go out and they get Texas linebackers coach Jeff Choate, right? That's that's that that's the pronunciation, Eric. Uh, that is someone who follows yep. the uh, yeah, <laughs> someone who follows the uh, Texas program very closely. I know I could count on you for that, but I think it's a decent hire. But obviously, you've spent a lot of time around Choate the last uh, seven eight months here, so would love to hear your opinion. Yeah, listen, I think that's a really um, good hire for Nevada. Not just saying that because I covered Choate. I mean, he had some success prior at the FCS level. Someone who, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is very quietly kind of creating a, a Nick Saban-esque kind of, you know, um, coaching tree. And, and I think Choate being on this staff for the past three years, kind of picking up some of the fundamentals that Sarkeesian is trying to kind of preach, I think that's going to help kind of, um, rally the folks there in Reno around that program. And listen, they can't afford to fall any further behind considering UNLV finally got things going there in Vegas and they have a chance to really lap them uh, in terms of the Mountain West. So really like that hire right there with, uh, with Jeff Choate. Then going a little further south, New Mexico replacing uh, Danny Gonzalez with a name that college football fans know pretty well at this point, Bronco Mendenhall. Eh, is kind of my opinion, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, I know he's got a lot of experience uh, with the Lobos, was the defensive coordinator there and associate head coach there um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I, I get the uh, the pedigree, so to speak. But eh, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, been out of the head coaching game for a long time. I, I don't know that that's the kind of hire you want to really jumpstart a program that hasn't really been relevant um, in a while, in my opinion. But I don't know. Do you have a different one? The beer is settling in for you, Joe Londrigan. No, listen, I, 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 I was a fan of the Bronco Mendenhall hire, but I think that had more to do with anything else with just, I don't want to say who you're going to get at New Mexico, but Bronco's a guy who's had success. And I, and I think that's a spot there where he'll know what to do. And just maybe it, it's an indictment on me, Joe, because I, you know, I don't want to sit there and promote retreads, but I think when you have someone who has some success, you know, real success, you know, foundationally your program is going to be set. So I don't mind Bronco Mendenhall, but I guess I can understand from maybe your perspective going for someone a little bit younger, kind of a, a newer type of hire. I'm a little surprised they didn't. Uh, maybe they did. I don't know. But I, I, I'm curious how much consideration Bryant Vincent got for said position. But I would certainly understand if they didn't want someone from the old administration win. Uh, Gonzalez didn't really move the needle that much in terms of wins and losses. Uh, Sean Lewis takes over for Brady Hoke at San Diego State in the long term. That's fine. Uh, Craig Bull going to retire at the end of this season for Wyoming. They promote their defensive coordinator, Jay Savell, uh, following their uh, upcoming bowl game against Toledo. That's interesting. Um, 
I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on either of those, to be honest with you. I'm a little sad to see uh, Craig Bowl leave the uh, coaching profession. Uh, rumor is he's going to go take a role with the AFCA. I don't know if, if that's going to materialize, but I, you know, I would, I, I get it. You know, he's, he's done a lot. He's had a lot of success at, at North Dakota state, took a Wyoming team and, and made them pretty competitive on a, on a year to year basis. So I don't know any thoughts on those two. No, like you, I think the verdict is going to be out on those, and especially with Craig Bowles, who's had so much success over his career. And Wyoming's a place that you can have instant success, but the verdict is definitely going to be out. Those will be ones in my mind that year one, you really have an idea to kind of know where you're going. Fair enough. You know, I guess one small note on the, the coaching cycle as far as coordinators go. Interested to see what Navy does in replacing Grant Chesnut in that experiment uh, for the midshipman. Uh, was only there for a year after having some uh, decent success with Kennesaw state didn't really get it done in a uh, five and seven season for Navy, but who knows where they go from here. Um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. My throat's starting to starting to die on me. Um, all right, Eric, as we close things up for uh, this, this probably the last episode that we tape before uh, new year's, and then we'll probably come back and, and talk some bowl games uh, once they've all kind of wrapped up here. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find your work covering the Texas Longhorns? Sure. You can find my coverage at Texas, Big 12 football, college ball playoff on Twitter, or I guess it's X, right? You know, X formerly Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore and, and find the the written form of the coverage, cbssports.com, horns247 and 247sports.com. Excellent. Happy football watching, everybody. We will talk to you very, very soon.